Chapel podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We're so glad you're here. Before we get started, we want to remind you of the importance of being connected into a local church body. Podcasts are a gift from God, but are meant to be supplemental and not substitute or replace the gathering of the saints in worship in the Word. With that being said, we pray that this teaching would bless you, equip you, and encourage you in your walk with Christ. Talking about God's heart for our neighbors this morning. And this is by no means like an extensive deep dive. What I want to share is as I was sitting for a couple weeks with the Lord and just seeking his heart on what is your heart for our neighbors, Lord, who are our neighbors, it was really a deeply convicting thing for me. And I just saw a lot that, Lord, I want to grow in this and I want to do better at this. And um, and so what I'm going to share with you this morning is kind of the journey that the Lord has taken me on in the past couple of weeks and um, the things that he has been showing me. And so when you hear the word neighbor, you might think of a few different things. You might think geographically, my house is here and I've got neighbors on either side or who's on your block in your neighborhood. Or um, if you're in an apartment, it could be who lives above and below you. Um, if you have a childhood anywhere between 1950 and 2001, you might think of Mr. Rogers and him singing every day to us, won't you be my neighbor? <laughs> Which, just as a side note, there is an incredible documentary about Mr. Rogers called Won't You Be My Neighbor on Netflix, and it is an incredible testimony to what it looks like to love our neighbors well. So that's just a little side note. <laughs> Go and watch that. I feel like that's just a great testimony to loving our neighbors in the name of Jesus. It was his faith that, that drove him to do that. So it's pretty awesome. The word neighbor appears in scriptures about 120 times. And it's about 90% that occurs in the Old Testament. And so it's, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. When that, that second commandment first came, it's things like don't steal from your neighbor. Don't covet your neighbor's spouse. Don't murder your neighbor. Um, and then that leaves about 10% in the New Testament. And we know that Jesus came to fulfill the law, that that original law was showing the Hebrews, this is how you live peaceably with one another as neighbors. But Jesus comes and he fulfills the law and he breaks the idea of neighbor wide open. And so really what we're going to look at is that loving our neighbors, our neighbors are the people that we cross paths with in our lives. Um, and so if you want to go ahead and turn to Luke 10, um, I'm going to pray one more time, and then we'll, we'll kind of dive into this. Huh. Jesus, Lord, we love you, and we thank you for the joy that it is to have you as our king and to be in your kingdom. And Lord, we just, we ask that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts, Lord, to just the glory that is around us and the people that we see and we meet in our everyday, Jesus. Would you show us how to carry your name, as Jake was saying, as we sang this morning, will you show us how to carry your name well um, and represent you well to the people that we cross paths with? We love you, Jesus, and in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so Luke 10, starting in verse 25. We're going to look at a very well-known parable. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Well, what is written in the law? 
How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus replies, You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. So which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. So this is a well-known parable. And we've been talking about parables a, a bunch over the past couple weeks. And I love that this is the one parable that needs no explanation. The, the disciples didn't have to, the lawyer didn't have to be like, well, what does this mean? It was very plain. And just to give a little bit of context, the lawyer in this story is not a civil lawyer in a courtroom. This is a lawyer who is an expert in Mosaic law. And so he's going to Jesus and he's saying, well, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he knows exactly when Jesus prompts him, what does the law say? He knows exactly what the first two commandments are. Love the Lord with all you have and all you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus looks at him and says, yes, do that and you'll live. But he gets defensive and says, I am doing that. I love my neighbors. I love the other Jews in our community. What gives? And Jesus then uses this story whose hero is an enemy to expose the ugliness that was in his heart. The Samaritans were looked down by the Jews. They saw things differently, and the Jews thought they were more righteous than the Samaritans. And it is said that Samaritan was actually like, it was like a cutthroat word that they would use if they wanted to like jab each other. You're being a dirty Samaritan. Like it, they did not like each other. It's kind of this catch-all beautifully convicting story that he uses of, yeah, your neighbor, it stretches far and wide. And it's a beautiful story that shows these paths that cross and the different opportunities that presented themselves. And the priest and the Levite they represent the lawyer in this story. They're other Jews who are very well-versed in the law. And when they come across the man in the ditch, they've got laws that say, we don't touch the dead, and he looks like he's dead, so I'm, I'm going to avoid that. And they allowed religiosity to stand in the way of godly compassion and empathy. They had a fear of being defiled if they associated themselves with the lowly. It made them uncomfortable. And I just sat with the Lord and just like, how often do I feel uncomfortable by 
people or a situation, and I just choose to not enter in. It doesn't have to be as dramatic as someone lying in the road beaten to death. I mean, what are the situations where I'm just like, I don't, this person I don't see eye to eye. And so I don't really feel like, I don't feel like getting into it with them. Or like they make me uncomfortable. We've had an issue in the past and I just avoid them at all costs. But being a good neighbor sometimes looks like getting out of our comfort zone. So that was something that the Lord was kind of stirring in my heart. And then as I sat and started looking at the Samaritan, this is a man who is on a journey and he sees another person like himself in the ditch. He sees another human. And that's what stirs up compassion in him. This is another person like me that's in need. And something that the Lord was showing me that I had never seen before was that he was on a journey, just like the other guys. He's not walking around twiddling his thumbs like, I've got nothing better to do. There's a guy in the ditch. I guess I can help him. I've got free time. It said he was on a journey. And the Lord said to me, loving our neighbors often looks like a holy interruption. How often am I so caught up in what my agenda is for the day and the list of things that I have to do and I've got to get from point A to point B. I like for things to be in this neat little package and I, have, I struggle when things pop up randomly. I, I don't do well with that sometimes. And these holy interruptions are a beautiful invitation to interact with people and, and carry the name of Jesus. So the Lord was just really stirring me like, holy interruptions, these are sweet divine appointments from me. As, as, we've been, as I've been sitting with the Lord and thinking about these things, and my heart's been stirred to, God, I, I want to I want to walk with you in intentionality here. Um, I recognize how even locationally with my neighbors, I can kind of get in my own thing and like, I'm here and I'm devoted to our body and like just kind of get in this one track and forget about the life and the opportunity that's around me. And so our family, we, we have a Sabbath on Saturdays. We put our phones away and we spend intentional time together as a family, resting. We get into the word, we worship, we'll have a devotional time. And last week, last Saturday, I felt the Lord prompting me to get out the kids' Bible. And let's read that, this story, the story of the Good Samaritan as a family, and just kind of talk about what are some ways that we can practically love our neighbors. So we read that, we kind of put on some worship and just sat as a family. And we told the kids, we're just going to be quiet. We put on instrumental worship. Let's be quiet and let's just ask the Holy Spirit if he would reveal some ideas to us of ways that we can love our neighbors. And it was really sweet. I mean, there was no pressure. Some of the kids drew pictures of things. And, but one of the things that was coming up is we have neighbors behind us named Bob and Donna. They're in their 80s. They, he's got a son does not live by, but they don't have children together. And they're always up there. It's like, man, there's a great opportunity to be able to, let's make like some cookies or something. We made scones and just bring them up there to them. And we ended up standing up there and talking with them for like over an hour. And it was just the sweetest thing to just sit and, and talk with them and get to know them. And it felt like this bridge had kind of opened of 
relationship, an opportunity to get to know them. And I'm excited. Uh, We've made a list. We've made a list of things as a family that we want to do to be able to connect with our neighbors and um, allow more for those holy interruptions and think outside of kind of our our typical lane of doing things. Um, We're going to continue talking about the Good Samaritan, but I want to flip us over to another lawyer talking to Jesus in Matthew 22. Um, We'll start in verse 37. Um, There's another lawyer, and he comes to Jesus, and he asks the question, what is the greatest commandment? Um, And Jesus says to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. What I want to look at here is what he says in verse 39. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. The the phrase, the second is like it, stood out to me. This has great, the greatest importance to Jesus. If you want to love God with all that you are, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, then you also have to love all people. Because if everybody that we cross paths with are our neighbors, we must be devoted to people. Because Jesus came to bring all men unto himself, and we're a conduit to be able to do that. We have opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus and draw people to the Lord. That's his heart. It's why he came in the first place. There's um, a Latin phrase that I love called Imago Dei. And Imago Dei means simply made in God's image, that we are his image bearers. And it comes from the scriptures in Genesis where the Trinity look at each other and say, let us make man in our image. And it means that no matter your race, your religion, your gender, your credence, all were made in God's image and are therefore deserving of respect and to be treated with dignity and care because God made us. And it doesn't matter if we know him or not, we are precious to him. And so I must operate in that way. Like I can't love the Lord with all that I am and then snub people or act like I'm holier than thou or act like they have some strange beliefs and so I hold them at a distance. He came to have relationship with them. And Jesus is not the king of my life. We've been talking about the kingdom I'm not walking in the kingdom way. I'm not walking with him as my king if I'm not devoted to his kingdom cause. Humanity is sacred to God. He chose us. He chose to make us for relationship. And so when we choose to love our neighbors, it's worship to him. It blesses God to his very core when we choose to love others and we choose to look at the people in front of us. Like that's the thing that's been stirring in me as I've been sitting with these scriptures is, God, I want my eyes to be wide open. There's constant opportunity to love people for your glory and for their good to plant seeds. Like when Jake was talking last week about going out and scattering the seed along the path, like As we choose to do that, we choose to have eyes to see and and be yielded to our king. God, who 
who can I love, even here at the grocery store, to speak kindness to them, to encourage them, to see as you see, there's endless opportunity. And I think that was the thing that was stirring up in me as we were even sitting and, and making a list of what are some practical ways to love the people that even geographically you've placed around us. It stirred me up that like, yeah, this is your heart. It's, it's actually providence where he places us. Which actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna move to. Um, let's look at Acts 17, Andrew. I'm gonna if we could put that up there, starting in verse 26. On that point, it says, "And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him." Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. And even as some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. It's providential where we are. The cities that we live in, the neighborhoods we live in, it can feel like it's happenstance, but it's not. He is the heavenly architect who has placed all of these things together. And... It's this beautiful invitation of, do you want to live fully alive and fully awake to what I am doing? Do you want to partner with me? Isn't that, that's the beautiful thing that Jake brought up after we sang that last song. What an incredible invitation to walk intentionally. He invites us to partner with him in expanding the kingdom. We walk as his representatives we are his ambassadors. That's a big deal. That's a big word. Ambassadors go from one country to another representing like the fullness and the, the everything that the other country is. Like I'm going and I am representing the United States of America to wherever, Egypt. We are placed here as ambassadors for Christ. And he is the God of love. And listen, like, that doesn't, it's not about waving off things that, you know, is sin. Like, he, he wants to heal those broken places, and he wants us to walk in alignment with him. But, gosh, we, we've got to love the people in front of us first for people to even receive, hey, what you're doing over here, it's not good for you, and here's why. Like, it can be so easy to be like, what you're doing is sin and I don't want to have anything to do with you. And like, like the priest and the Levite did, you know, like there was a fear of like being defiled and I feel uncomfortable. It's like, no, there's an opportunity and invitation to press in for the sake of community, for the sake of God's glory and for them coming into the kingdom. There is a, an amazing sermon by C.S. Lewis that he preached um, in 1942 called The Weight of Glory. And I strongly encourage you to read it, especially if you're a Lewis fan. Like, it, it's beautiful. Um, but the whole thing, he's talking about the coming glory for the saints entering into heaven. And what is that glory going to be like in the fullness of glory shining through us? And it all—I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spoil it for you. I'm going to read the, basically the ending paragraph. And I wrestled— I, 
please bear with me. It's a little long. And I read it to Alex. He was like, if it were me, I'd be reading the whole thing. I'm like, okay, all right, I'm taking your word for it. So I'm going to read this. Um, so again, he has, he's been speaking about the glory that is waiting for us and the fullness of glory in, in us as we step into our, our heavenly bodies, our glorified bodies. Um, he says, it may be possible for each to think too much of his own potential glory hereafter, but it is hardly possible for him to think too often or too deeply about that of his neighbor. The load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid daily on my back, a load so heavy that only humility can carry it and the backs of the proud will be broken. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you may talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you'd be strongly tempted to worship or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, and all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, art, civilization, these are mortal, and their life to ours is the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play, but our merriment must be of that kind, and it is, in fact, the merriest kind, which exists between people who, from the outset, have taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. And our charity must be a real and costly love with deep feelings for the sins in spite of which we love the sinner. No mere tolerance or indulgence, which parodies love as flippancy parodies merriment. Next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object present to your senses. And if he is your Christian neighbor, he is holy in almost the same way, for in him also Christ, the glorifier and the glorified, glory himself is truly hidden. I mean, that to me is it. We got to be about our neighbors and their coming glory. He's not, and he's not saying when he says potential gods and goddesses, he's not being blasphemous and saying that we are gods and goddesses. His point is, is that the glory that is coming when we step into a world where sin is no more and we are fully alive and fully known and we, we step into that place, if we were to see it now, we would be amazed. Because think about Christ. Like, he walked. He wasn't in his heavenly body yet, but he walked without sin, and it drew people to him, and you just fell at your knees and worshiped. Like, we don't know, we don't know that, but one day, we too will be like Christ and we'll be without sin, and it'll be beautiful. And as we've talked about living in the kingdom, the decisions we make, the choices we make, we're either pushing back the darkness or letting it come in. His point is we are ever either going one way or the other in our interactions with one another. It can be 
playing and in the people we love and have friendship with, or it can be in the places that we disagree. Like when Jake talked about loving our enemies last week, like we're either inviting in the light to come and envelop, or we're inviting the enemy to come in and twist and, and manipulate and May we be about our brothers, our neighbors, coming into the kingdom and becoming brothers and sisters and loving them with that aim. Going back to um, the Samaritan, one other thing that was really sticking out to me is that he, when he crossed paths with the man in the ditch, he didn't just stop and call for somebody to come and help. Someone call 911. There's a guy that needs help. Like, he took it upon himself to get off his horse and get in the ditch with the man, and he drew him close. And remember, we talked about he, he saw him as another human. It's that Imago Day that we just talked about. He saw him. This is another person, and this person's in need. And he reached into his own, his own bag. It says that he got out his own oil and his own wine. So he went into his own resources to take care of the guy. And then he even used his own monetary resources when he brings him to the inn and says, here, here's us being here, and I will pay you whatever else you have got to spend on him because I'm coming back for the guy. And what the Lord was showing me here is sometimes loving our neighbors looks like getting in the ditch with them. And sometimes it's weeping with those who weep and mourning with those who mourn and sitting, being okay to be sitting in there with them and like, I'm with you. I'm bearing this burden with you. I'm available. Like, it's that being like Jesus, the friend who sticks closer than a brother. So um, my life group knows this. Our life group knows this. But my brother-in-law, Chris, we got to meet his girlfriend, serious girlfriend named Malia last summer. And we spent a couple days with them, and she was just precious, and her and I immediately hit it off. Um, but a year ago, last October, she got diagnosed with a very, very rare form of ovarian cancer. And when she first started having some pain and stuff, um, before she knew what it was and she was going into the ER, um, I reached out to my brother-in-law and said, hey, can I have Malia's number? Because I felt the Lord telling me, this is a get-in-the-ditch situation. Like, you need to go, and you just need to be there and be available. And so her and I, over the past year of her walking through chemo, and now things have gotten worse again, and she's going back through chemo, and she's entered into stage four. It's been this thing that, like, she's not a believer. And the, th- the thing that I felt the Lord saying from the get-go is, you just need to be present and be available. And as far as she wants to take that, great. And so I, I was just letting her know, and I would check in with her. But the Lord's been doing this really precious thing of her and I are talking pretty much daily now, and she is asking me to pray, and she has told me, like, hey, when I come up soon, can you and Alex sit down and talk with me about God? Because I didn't grow up in the church, and I've got a lot of questions but will you sit and talk with me? She's told me, you have no idea what it's meant to me for you to be there for me and be a place where I can talk. I don't have that. Thank you for doing that. And I've this whole time just been contending in prayer, God, 
would you open her eyes? Would you open the eyes of my, my brother-in-law, Chris? And he's doing that, and it's because we choose to get in the ditch with people. There's a lot of things we can't fix. Pretty much most things we can't fix. <laughs> but there is something really precious about choosing to just get in there and like, I can't fix anything and that's really helpless, but I'm here with you. I wish I could fix things. I'm here with you and I'm available. What can I do? And it's just been sweet. The Lord's been making these really cool opportunities to talk about him. And it's just, it's getting in the ditch with people. I mentioned prayer and contending. This is another way that we love our neighbors. If you want to go to Ezekiel 22, I'm just going to read one verse. Um, it's verse 30. It says, I searched for a man among them who would repair the wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land so that I might not destroy it, but I found no one. It's a picture of contending in prayer. God's looking I want to love this person and I want to move and I want them to recognize that, that I love them. Will anyone pray? It's what Lewis was saying about putting that their burden, the burden of my neighbor's glory on my back. Will, will I make that mine? Will I sit and contend in prayer for them? Like we have the ear of the almighty who is all powerful and can do all things. Nothing is impossible for this God. And I'm constantly ringing his ear about things that I need, right? <laughs> How about I get on my knees and I contend in prayer with such desperation and zeal for that of my neighbor? And that's, that's something that the Lord has been teaching me as I've been praying for Malia. It's like, God is moving and God is doing something, I'm like, God, I just believe this isn't in vain. There's seeds being planted and you're moving. And he was reminding me of the mysterious scripture of him saying that he has given us the keys to the kingdom. Like, God, if this has anything to do with that, I'm holding those keys. You let them in. That's his heart, isn't it? That's why he came. He wants to know, he wants them to know him intimately. He knows them. He knows their hurts. He knows their desires. He wants to move on their behalf. And so, and we're called to be ministers of reconciliation. Jesus came to reconcile us back to the Father. And now we get to, as ambassadors, carry his name and love our neighbors to reconcile them back to Christ. That doesn't happen when we're nitpicking one another and when we're getting all in a fuss and like segregating ourselves of they have weird politics and they have weird like views on this and this. It's like, but Jesus loves them all. They're all precious to him. He desires that none should perish. Shouldn't that be my desire in my heart that I would see the people in front of me as flesh and bone Imago Dei, made as his, in his image, made for his glory. And then contend for them in prayer and believe in faith that God is moving. It's not in vain. And those seeds that are planted in weeping will come into a harvest. 
it makes me think of, in contending in prayer, that it makes me think of the friends who were the friends of the paralytic man. Yeah, and they, they love him so much, and they know Jesus can heal him. And they carry him up to the roof. It's so crowded, they can't, they can't get through. And they carry him up onto the roof and rip the roof off. They tear a hole in the roof to lower him down. Like, that is persistence. That is, be, that's a picture of being a good neighbor. I love you. I'm linking arms with you. I'm getting you to the feet of Jesus. We can storm the gates of heaven. We can rip the roof off. We can have faith for others when they don't have it for themselves. That's, it's having the heart to usher people into the kingdom of God, into the family of God. That's what the kingdom is, isn't it? It's a family of God, living and moving, having our being, operating with our king for his glory and for the good of those around us. To bring people from not even just being neighbors, but being brothers and sisters in Christ, which we are one another's neighbors. But it, you see what I'm saying? We're going from just being neighbors, being brothers and sisters with those who don't believe. I want to end with this because for me, I'm sitting, I'm like, that can feel intimidating. <laughs> it can feel a little intimidating here, but I want to read something over us. And I'm going to read the first three verses of Isaiah 61. And Jesus even came and he, he says this about himself, but we're called to be imitators of Christ, and he says this over us as well. And so I'm going to read this, and I encourage you to just kind of sit and let the Holy Spirit just minister to you that you are anointed for this. You're anointed to be a good neighbor and carry the name of Jesus. Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified." You're anointed for this because you can't do any of these things in your own strength. I can't do any of this in my own strength. I can't bind up the brokenhearted, right? I can't make prison doors fling open and set captives free, but Christ can, and Christ lives in me, and he's called me to be his hands and feet. He's called you to be his hands and feet, and when our hearts are aligned with his, God, nothing's impossible for him. That's where the faith of the mustard seed that we talked about last week. It's even the faith of the mustard seed that throws mountains into the sea. How big is a mountain of unbelief? But you go and you say, God, help me love the people around me. Help me see them with your eyes. You know how much God blesses that? It's like, yeah, that's my heart. I've made them. I want them to be mine. Or I made them, and they're in the ditch right now. They're having a hard time seeing me. Will you just go and be my hands and feet in the ditch with them? We're anointed for it. He's with us in it. 
And it's a joy and it's an invitation into abundance. Being good neighbors, that's an abundance thing. Like, it's an abundant thing to walk around. Like, we don't have to be afraid, like, and intimidated of, I don't understand that culture. I don't know those people. God does. God made them. He made them for his glory. So when we come into alignment with them, we say, God, give me your heart that I may be your hands and feet. We can walk with our shoulders back and our head held up of like, God loves you. And he blesses it. And he does the work of opening the eyes and opening the heart. So it's really, it's not about who's being a good neighbor to me. I think that's kind of like the issue that the lawyer was having. Who's my neighbor? I love my neighbor. Maybe not them, but like, it's not a question about who's being a good neighbor to me. It's, it's the question of, God, I wake up this day. Help me to be a good neighbor to those around me in your strength, by your power. Help me to be a good neighbor. So that's what I got. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll get out of here. Jesus, you, you are so good and so kind, and you are a good, good king. And we thank you for the beautiful work that is the kingdom of God and the beautiful thing that it is to be invited into your kingdom and to walk as your ambassadors, to walk as good neighbors. God, would you stir in us um, a new desire, a renewed desire, or or even expanding just our, our territory of who our neighbor is and help us to walk in your power to be your hands and feet, that your glory would just shine through the neighborhoods that we live in, that we would carry that light, we'd be that city on a hill, and that all would come to know you. Um, Yeah, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for making us for relationship. May we carry your name well and be good neighbors. In your name we pray, amen.